Are you enjoying this? No, on the contrary, take it as a compliment. You're a bright young man. This monkey business is in your blood, under your skin. You're not getting out, you're just getting in. You're only getting started. I've every faith in you. And one day in the future, it'll be you sitting here in my place, telling some young Turk the facts of life. And they are, Mr. Temple. You're born, you take shit. Get out in the world, you take more shit. Climb a little higher, take less shit. Till one day you're up in the rarefied atmosphere and you've forgotten what shit even looks like. Welcome to the layer cake, son. thing ends here tonight, you understand? Drug money's easy money, not grief. The odds, as you can see, are against you. Good night. I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 356, Layer Cake. And this is listener request number 54, courtesy of Stephen, not to be confused with Dr. Stephen. Oh, that's true. Who was another listener request that we did previously. So thank you to... Steven, this was a first-time watch for me. I've actually never seen this movie prior. I actually saw it back... I mean, when did it come out? Like, 2004? Yeah. I probably saw it, like, 2007. Had no idea what it was. Watched a DVD at a friend's house. I really liked it at the time, and I went and bought a DVD copy of it. Oh! Yeah, how about that? And, of course, friend of Pittsburgh, the lovely Sienna Miller, in this movie. Always happy to see her pop up. Yeah, she was actually a a reference point early on for this show, which didn't make Shane's bingo card. Oh, true. Yes, her performance in The Mysteries of Pittsburgh has been referenced a lot in the old days of the show. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why exactly. <laughs> but anyway. It's significant. Layer Cake 2004, a lot to get to there. But before we do, let's remind everyone listening to find us, follow us, message us, adore us oh, on yeah. X slash Twitter, at Greatest Pod. 
You can slide into the DMs, let us know what you think of the show. You can do listener requests, request a sticker, anything there. And then also, you can reach us via email, greatestpod at gmail.com. We will be reading an email later on. We'd love to read yours as well, greatestpod at gmail.com. If you'd like a free sticker, we will send that out to you. Hopefully some more merch maybe coming in 2024. I'd really like to get on it. I need some help. Matt's got a lot of projects. Very overwhelming. Yeah, you know. If it happens, it happens. People have been saying you do too much work on the show <laughs> and that I should start shouldering some of the load. Yeah. Well, we'll look, see. we're starting to figure out how to get you more breaks. You're more well-rested for the episodes now. <laughs> and finally, make sure you're subscribed to the program on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you're listening to us. The subscriptions mean a lot. The download numbers mean a lot. Mm-hmm. It's really the motivation to keep doing it, as well as... The wonderful reviews and ratings that we've received on Apple Podcasts, please continue to do that if you have not already done so. We love to look at those. Yeah, it really keeps us moving here. Look, guys, there's always a possibility (laughs) that this thing could come crashing down. So, Well, don't say that. (laughs) We're definitely doing the listener request. Absolutely, so don't panic. Every episode now, it makes it sound like we're (laughs) contemplating stopping the show, which we are not. That is just unbelievable because... He'll say for months, we're doing too much. We need to slow down. You're going to go crazy. Too much work. This is too much. (laughs) Too many episodes. We shouldn't be releasing two in a week. For years, he says We did a lot last year. And then I slow down, and now he acts like we're definitely not doing the show anymore (laughs) because I've gone to a more normal pace and I'm not killing myself for the show. I'm just getting nervous for the listeners out there. No, I just make these comments. I hope that people feel some... I'm trying to guilt people into leaving us positive reviews yeah well of course yeah and if you have a listener request right now we have at least one slot left it would be in august a hundred dollars will get you any narrative feature pretty much as long as it's something we can track down and stream if you have any questions about that you can hit us up on x or via email oh i I don't know that that's a requirement i definitely rented this you mean stream not not necessarily stream for free yeah. Okay. I just meant something that we can find. Yeah, okay. Right. Just something available, not out of print and missing. For example, one of our listeners requested a movie that is not available to stream anywhere in the version that he would like us to do, and so I bought a Blu-ray. Oh, yeah. That's coming up in a couple of months. So these things can well, happen. Sure. I mean, look, if you hadn't owned Sling Blade, we would have been in trouble. Yeah, I know. That one actually would have been probably impossible if I didn't already have it. Which is weird because it was a huge movie nominated for Oscars. I should point out in the same series of us speaking, I I said how I did buy this movie on DVD, but then I had to rent it. At one point, my parents moved to North Carolina and I gave them all of my DVDs. I'm glad you're cleaning this up for the listeners because they just could not figure out what was going on. They would have been like, well, that doesn't make any sense. He said he owned a DVD. They're crashing their cars in the telephone poles. (laughs) What? Out of confusion. But yeah, I, I did. I was out on physical media at one point. I dragged you back in. Yeah. <laughs> but listen, I'm happy to be back. It's giving me a reason to live. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who have been wondering whether you should dive into the world of physical media, there you go. It might provide life fulfillment. <laughs> <laughs> Layer cake. 
2004. This is our 54th listener request, courtesy of Stephen. The film was directed by Matthew Vaughn. Yes, breaking out of the Guy Ritchie shadow. From a script by J.J. Connolly, based on Connolly's 2000 novel of the same name. The budget was $6.5 million. The box office came in at $11.9 million. Matt, something that you've often said yeah. to me privately, which I didn't realize came from this movie. This can't be good. When you say, fucking females is for puffs. <laughs> and I was like, what does this mean? Yeah. Why are you saying this to me constantly? Well, now you get it. Yeah. <laughs> whispering in my ear. <laughs> <laughs> now well, I know where it came from. It is true when you think about it, though. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. I definitely get it. <laughs> The title of the film refers to the social strata, especially in the British criminal underworld. Originally, this London-based crime thriller was to be directed by the aforementioned Guy Ritchie, Hmm. already having done Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch. Instead, producer of those two films, Matthew Vaughn, makes his directorial debut after Ritchie left the project arguably surpassing Richie's success as a director almost immediately. Financially, he's had to have at this point, success of the movies-wise. Yeah, with the X-Men and the Kingsmen and all that stuff and Kick-Ass. Yeah, Yeah. he's definitely had a a bigger career. Guy Ritchie, I don't know that he's ever really had a ton of huge movies, but he's very high profile because he was married to Madonna. That's true. I don't know. Those Sherlock Holmes movies seem like they were pretty big. Oh, yeah, that's true. I kind of forgot. Yeah. So his success probably came later in the more mainstream stuff, too. Right. So, yeah, I guess they're probably pretty comparable. Sure. Although Richie now, his movies are a little smaller, and he's Mm -hmm. worked his way back into getting decent reviews. Although I have to say, that movie with Josh Hartnett and Jason Statham and... It got good reviews, but I can't. I can't remember what it's is called. Is this the gentleman, or is that something else? I know that was one of his. No, I think it was though. Man of Wrath or Wrath okay. of Man. Uh, all right, it got like good reviews. It came out a year or two ago. I think it was during the pandemic. I rented it. It was fine. Yeah, his movies are generally fine. I kind of feel the same way about Vaughn. They're all very watchable. Yeah, I think there's a certain disconnect in how highly stylized they are. They both flirt with it a lot. I have to say that I saw Snatch in the theater, and it definitely felt like something I had not seen before. Oh, yeah. When I first saw Snatch, I, like, loved it. It's definitely a movie that it hasn't really stuck with me over the years, but back then, I thought it was great. I think it was probably released at the right time for people in our demo to be exposed to this British raw underworld kind of thing, and the way they're talking in the movie, and you can barely understand what they're saying. It was all very... (laughs) seducing to people who were interested in movies probably were fans of tarantino and that kind of a thing Mm -hmm. and you're like oh there's a whole other world of crime movies over here and it definitely seemed cool and edgy because you could barely even understand what was happening half the time (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna say replica down the side it was daniel craig's performance in layer cake that caused producer Barbara Broccoli to take notice and think he might be a good fit for James Bond. I think, oddly enough, Vaughn even comments on the DVD commentary about it, saying that Daniel Craig really wants to be James Bond or something during that scene when Calm Meany 
gives him a gun and that right. whole thing. Oh, yeah, and he does the... So, like, bit, on the DVD yeah. commentary, Vaughn's talking about how Daniel Craig really wants to be James Bond, and then it did happen shortly after. Yeah, I can remember when he was cast, and I didn't know who he was, feeling like it was weird that there was going to be a blonde James Bond. <laughs> I don't know. That was weird to me at the time. Now, Daniel Craig is an actor that I've really grown to love, and I kind of think he brings his performance from this movie on through a lot of his career where he is sort of cool but kind of a loser who's always getting beat too like even in his bond in his bond movies is like it's never going well for him yeah there's definitely a certain type of character and i think ryan gosling plays this character a lot too yeah where they're ultra good looking ultra cool but they're also pussies that get beat up pretty easily right in this particular movie daniel craig's character has a total aversion to violence, even though he is essentially a drug-dealing gangster, in a sense. But he doesn't really fit that stereotypical mold of a violent man. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, this sort of that outmatched guy, but also super cool and endlessly fuckable. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely part of it. Yeah, I like Daniel Craig as well. He's sort of channeling a Steve McQueen type in this movie. There are times where he has to provide a little bit of comedic relief, but also when push comes to shove, he also gets to be a badass sometimes too, and then ultimately leaves you with the sucker punch ending, Oh yeah, which also fits in with that diminished hero mm-hmm. where he's not exactly on the same level as a Sly Stallone or a Schwarzenegger or something like that. That's not your ultimate badass dude who's just gonna come in and kill everyone he's gotta maneuver his way through the world and i think the ending which is a very non-traditional non-american sucker punch not happy ending i think also plays in with that too he never gets to be the guy on top the top dog the cool guy and i think that part of the movie is about understanding your ambitions and your place in the world and he almost flirts with that idea at the end of the film, and then it seems like he's not going to give in to it, but then it doesn't matter anyway. Mm-hmm. It's sort of this twisted karma joke on him at the end. When I was born, the world was a far simpler place. It was all just cops and robbers. Then came the summer of love. Hashish and LSD arrived on the scene. There were villains locked away for 12 years for robbing a bank of 10 grand, doing time with drippy hippies who were doing 12 months for smuggling 2 million quids worth of puff. I mean, work it out, mate. We're in the wrong fucking game. Drugs changed everything. Always remember that one day all this drug monkey business will be legal. They won't leave it to people like me. Not when they finally figure out how much money there is to be made. Not millions. Fucking billions. Recreational Drugs PLC giving people what they want. 
Good times today, stupor tomorrow. But this is now. So until prohibition ends, make hay while the sun shines. I'm not a gangster. I'm a businessman whose commodity happens to be cocaine. I mean, 10 years ago, a bit of Charlie was for pop stars or a celebrity's birthday bash. It was demonized by Daily Mail readers getting drunk in naff wine bars. Now they're my biggest clients. This is Clarkie. Double first at Cambridge in industrial chemistry. Well, he's got to pay off his student loan somehow. Today, I only deal in kilos, and depending on which tariff you use, that'll cost you either 28 grand or 15 years in prison, which is more time than a rapist. Celebi. It is vital that we work to a few golden rules. Always work in a small team. Keep a very low profile. Only deal with people who come recommended. I mean, it's like selling anything. Washing machines. Handmade shoes, blowjobs, as long as you don't take the piss, people will always come back for more. I mean, that's not to say that we don't weave that special kind of magic that makes two kilos into three, but never be too greedy. The protagonist, XXXX, otherwise unnamed, and I'm going to be referring to the character as X, okay, not XXXX, is a London cocaine distributor who abhors violence and operates with the care and professionalism of a legitimate businessman. His chief associates are his enforcer and partner, Morty, mm-hmm. and Gene, an Irish gangster who serves as his liaison to mob boss Jimmy Price. Just as X is ready to retire from criminal life, he is summoned to a lunch meeting with Jimmy, who gives him two tasks. My uh, first experience with this movie and the cast was nuts. I think by this point when I had seen it, I knew who Daniel Craig was. But I don't think I had seen any of the Bond movies or if there was just one at this point. But two of the dudes I knew from like the Harry Potter movies, including Morty and then Michael Gambon. Yeah. <laughs> there they are just being crass and swearing all over the place in this criminal world. And then Cole Meany I knew from being on Star Trek for years. <laughs> Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. I was actually just thinking about his character from the Alan Partridge movie, uh, <laughs> yeah. where he plays that DJ who gets fired. Right. Layer Cake author J.J. Connolly designated his protagonist as XXXX in his mind until he could think of a suitable name for the character. Ultimately, he decided that the character didn't need a name for the story to be effective. In the opening montage, X walks through a pharmacy in which he imagines all of the products are drugs like cocaine and ecstasy branded with labels such as Fuck Reality, spelled F-C-U-K. The founder of French Connection, F-C-U-K, Stephen Marks, was the executive producer of this movie. So there you have it, little brand integration, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. There's this whole designer drugs vibe to the opening. Yes, you can tell right away that this movie is going to be ultra stylish, hipper than thou, lots of fun camera movements, lots of transitions that are interesting, unique, 
the camera will zoom in on an eye and then zoom out, and then it'll yep. be something different right. is happening. It'll be in a different location, things like that. Very creative. You're seeing a lot of late 90s, early 2000s fashion, style, sensibilities. The soundtrack definitely transports you back 20 years. Oh, yeah. Over the scope of your life, especially if you are our age and can remember the previous century, it definitely felt like the decades were more delineated. Everyone associates things with the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And then once you get past that, it starts to become more nebulous and right. everything blends together but that's also probably our age too i think probably younger people might differentiate yeah. differently we talk about it on the show there's definitely certain time periods within the last 25 years like 2008 to 2012 feels like a time right yeah well what i'm saying is that this movie now that it's 20 years old and you kind of step back from it and you can look at how the camera moves yeah, yeah. and the sound, the soundtrack, the clothes people are wearing. It no longer feels as if 2004 was yesterday. No. Other than this thing where like actors don't really age now. Yeah, Daniel Craig essentially looks the same. Yeah, like That's the hard part. We were like, how can this be? Yeah, it's always funny, too, when you go back and you see, oh, when Friends was going off the air, they'll do a thing in People magazine where yeah. they take the six cast members and say, here's what they're going to look like in 20 years, and they'll make them all look gray-haired <laughs> like and fat Christy and stuff. Alley. And they all look exactly I the know. same now. Well, except for Matthew Perry, obviously. Right, cool, yeah. <laughs> but even Tom Hardy, who looks younger in this movie, but he's still playing guys like this age or this character type. Yeah, he was a little bit more noticeable than Daniel Craig. Yeah, he looks younger, for sure. Yeah, I guess I would say that 2004 no longer feels, looks, sounds like it was yesterday, but it also is still hard to reconcile that it's been 20 years. I know. That also is... One shudders at the thought. Horrifying. <laughs> yeah. So we're introduced to a few of the people up front, in addition to Daniel Craig playing X. We have Tom Hardy playing Clarky, one of the guys who works for X, not a huge part. Not a lot of lines. He's kind of around through some of the duration. Morty and Gene, played by George Harris and Cole Meany, respectively, they end up being kind of big factors, but ultimately, again, not really changing the story much. They're just sort of appendages to X. Yeah. They have their own storylines, though. And then Jimmy Price, the boss, played by Kenneth Cranham, I like this whole opening. It's very cool. You have the narration from Daniel Craig giving us the lay of the land. It's not rocket science. It It's almost the reverse of so many famous police stories where one more job could oh, be yeah. the, the bank robber. It could be the drug dealer. It could be the sheriff. could be the FBI guy. It could be Will Graham in Manhunter. Mm -hmm. It could be anybody. One more job. Let's, let's go one more time. We have... X on the verge of this early retirement he thinks is coming, and now he's being called in by his boss, laying it all out there, and then it builds into that credit sequence with She Sells Sanctuary by the cult playing. Oh, yeah. And it, it really is an effective kickoff to the movie. You're, oh, I think so. Because you don't really even see it coming. I, I kind of thought we were already into the movie. Now, it isn't like The Departed. It's not coming yeah, 25 right. minutes in or anything. Well, it but... just says layer cake on the door. <laughs> yeah. Except it was two hours into the yeah. movie. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> no, it, it actually isn't that long, but there's yeah. just something about how it, it, it feels laid out where it, he's wrapping up his narration. You almost are like, okay, now the movie's going to start. Right, right. But instead, then it launches into the credit sequence with the music. 
kind of is reminiscent of A Tale of Two Cities, the, the Dickens novel, where we're seeing two different levels of the underworld layer cake at play working at the same time, and you can't help but compare and contrast. You have X dealing with Jimmy and Morty and Gene. They seem to be at one level, and then this other crew, which definitely seems way more street level. We don't oh, know right. their names or anything yet. They're all talking in those cockney accents yeah, yeah. or whatever the fuck is going on and they seem like trash there's two guys and a girl we're going to be introduced to them in a minute it's the full spectrum it's both ends of this universe and then i think what the movie does is kind of builds you up into thinking that the jimmy price level is the highest level and then you learn oh no no, no there's there's levels to that there's oh, levels yeah. beyond and we're going to go up higher and higher and then once you go beyond the Eddie Temples of the world, then you're talking about the governments and mm-hmm. all of that level or whatever. The trashy people are Duke, played by Jamie Foreman, Slasher, played by Sally Hawkins. And Wild. Gaza, played by Bern Gorman. That's right. A recognizable crew. Yeah, I was a little surprised that Bern Gorman is only like nine years older than me. Well, because doesn't got- it seem like he's just been around forever? Yeah, he's got a very distinct look. If I told you that he was the same age as your parents, I don't think that would be weird. He no, just seems yeah. like older. I agree. Like he's been around. When I was watching Slasher on screen, I was like, is this someone I know? I wasn't immediately, yes, this is Sally Hawkins. And then I looked it up and I'm like, wow. Then you totally see it. But... It's harder to tell at first. Yeah. I think later in the movie, she was pretty recognizable. Maybe it was just unexpected to me that her being in this role. Yeah, it is an interesting part for her to play for sure. <laughs> The biggest drawback from this crew is I wish there was more. The Duke, Slasher, Gaza, yes, they are at a different level. Yes, they are more generic. Well, they are hateable. Trash crimes (laughs) type people. But the movie tries to be so ambitious by showing us the different strata of this criminal underworld that it does leave you wanting a little bit more of these characters that come in and are highly entertaining. Well... Yeah, and one thing that they're definitely establishing is the world that X plays in where it's like there's this professionalism and this code, and then there's this other... Yeah, he's the go-between. You're seeing how it all operates, and what we don't understand is what the connection is between Jimmy Price and Eddie Temple, and then once we find that out and we realize that like Eddie Temple is inviting him over for a borderline dinner for schmucks scenario where they're all goofing on this clown <laughs> right. that these other guys all worship and act like is this giant boss. Of course. And he's a doofus compared to these other people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you want, son? Excuse me? In life. What are you after? A shot at the title? A seat by the band? Well, I don't know, Mr. Price. That's a very expansive question. (laughs) Right, expansive. Good answer. You know, years ago, some people would have thought you were a homosexual, using the word like expansive. You're not a homosexual, are you? No. Not behind me to rent? No. No, I didn't think you were. No harm in it, I suppose. Times change. You know why people like you can't leave this business? Because you make too much money for 
of people like me. Anyway, I'll get to the point. I need a favour. I need someone who's a bit cute, a bit of a smooth operator, not a two-a-penny loudmouth, too many grasses around. Well, it'd be a pleasure, Mr Price. Jimmy. You can call me Jimmy. Now, this favour, it's not for me, if the truth be told. It's for a good friend of mine. Uh, like a blood brother, we were at school together. Now he's a right wheeler dealer, flinging up skyscrapers. His wife's a proper blue blood. I'll give you a clue. Eddie Temple. Does that name mean anything to you? I know who you mean. Now, Eddie's got a daughter, Charlie, bless her. The light of his life. He worships the ground she walks on. She's a proper beauty, Charlie. Ought to give her a correct moniker. Charlie Spencer Temple. But she ain't behaving like a lady. She's hooked on the white powder and loves a wrong'un. And this is where you come in, right? You're gonna find her. Find her? She's gone missing. Well, you should get a private detective. Oh, right. Well, some nosy ex-policeman still on the payroll at Scotland Yard, you mean? Yeah, but... She's I done a runner from a drug rehabilitation unit in the West Country. Right, rehab. She got loved up in there with some low-life crackhead called Kinky. Well, I reckon they've legged it back to London. I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Every now and then we're asked to do something above and beyond the call of duty. It's called Sacrifice Son. Ask Jean. Ask Morty. I'll do my best. You do your best and find her. Keep Mr. Maguire posted. I've also got a little business, more in your usual line. Gene will fill you in on the details. I hope everything was to your satisfaction, Mr. Price. F***ing excellent, Angela. Thank you. Details, details. Things to do, things to get done. Don't bother me with details, just tell me when they're done. Who said that, son? Winston Churchill. Close. No, I said it. James Lionel Price. Good boy. I'll see you two at the yard tomorrow, say, four o'clock. I'll tell you about that bit of business. I've set up a meet for five with the Duke. The first task for Mr. Price is for X to track Charlie, the drug-addicted runaway daughter of one of Price's associates, the aforementioned Eddie Temple. The second task is for X to oversee the purchase of one million ecstasy tablets from the Duke, as we said, a low-level criminal, who recently returned to London from Amsterdam with his girlfriend Slasher and a crew of thugs led by his right-hand man Gaza, Unbeknownst to X, the Duke and his crew have stolen the pills from a gang of Serbian war criminals. <laughs> well, yeah. Even that sentence alone, you're thinking, okay, well, this is probably not going to end well. Doesn't for seem like a good idea. We're seeing a lot of this shown in flashback. It's being explained eventually to X as he's trying to find a buyer for these pills after his meeting with Jimmy. And then we're seeing it, Slasher's having meltdowns where <laughs> she's left with a Uzi oh, watching right. the people tied up and she gets so freaked out yeah. that when some 
random bystander guy just <laughs> opens a door and she just starts shooting everyone. <laughs> yeah, she's a little out of her element <laughs> on this job, I think. That was legitimately hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> but as it's being explained to X, these fucking Serbian war criminals are wanted by the United Nations. This is serious shit. Yeah. They're talking about beheadings, death, horrible torture. Just yeah. not good. People. Not like a crew to mess around with. Not a lot of fun. No. Yeah, I was kind of giving you my initial reactions to the movie before we started recording. And, and one of the things that I thought was a real interesting choice and a strength of the film Mm -hmm. is how there are ramifications, there are consequences. They treat the violence with gravity. It's all very real to them. They don't act as if murder or death is something that should just be brushed aside, which is how most crime gangster-type movies act. In a weird way, it was reminiscent of the scene with Bonnie in... Pulp Fiction, where you're not expecting these gangster types to be treating the situation with such gravity, but then when you actually think about, well, what if this was real? No matter who these two motherfuckers are, they just shot this guy. If they get pulled over by the cops, they're screwed. There's no way out of it, no matter who they are. And that's kind of how this is, too. You've introduced a character, X. He is a cool guy, a slick guy, but very professional. He's one of those guys who is not going to get caught because he realizes that you can't be flashy. You have to be under the radar. Yeah. He doesn't traffic in violence. He's not bringing a lot of attention to himself. But yeah, you're confronting him now in a world where he's dealing with Serbian war criminals who decapitate their enemies. Right, and he's sort of crafted himself a comfort zone within this world that he operates within and it's been working and he's been able to keep himself from getting involved in shit that he doesn't want to be in. Yeah. Until now he's going to sail off into the sunset, which should be your first clue that we have a movie. Yeah. Something's going to happen because (laughs) that never happens. (laughs) No one's ever allowed to sail off into the sunset. No, no. The actor who played Duke is Jamie Foreman, son of notorious gang enforcer, Freddie Foreman. Okay. So a little real-life meta casting there. There's a lot of pills. What's the tax on that? Jimmy wants 50% netto. Love a bit of cloak and dagger this lot, don't you? Oh, yeah, driving a bright yellow Range Rover. Very subtle. You two calm down. you feel better once you got your money out. Huh? Yeah, with how much can you spend in Parkhurst for all this club's team? Come on. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't go getting do gutter. Jimmy doesn't want him fucked about, okay? Who? Me? Don't you fucking talk to me like I'm some kind of mug. Don't you fucking talk to me like that. Don't take this personally. It's business. Now, you want to know how much these pills are worth? Yes! Fucking please! Right, now, just because you pay a fiver a pop down the local cattle market, don't, don't, for fuck's sake, start thinking these pills are worth millions. They're not. We've got to find someone to buy these pills, and then they've got to split them up into parcels of, say, I don't know, 100,000. They've got to find these people. It's hard work. Oh, you give a fucking aspirin an headache, pal! Then you've got currency fluctuations, you've got police activity, you've got adverse publicity. I mean, you tell me, who has got the readies lying around to pay for a million each? This is fucking bullets! That's a son of fuck up! Dude, we all want a good deal out of this. Mate, 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 mate. 
that parcel of pills has got to be worth five million easy. Five pound each, yeah? You are fucking joking. It doesn't work like that. Don't keep fucking saying that to me! I've got some samples. I'll stay in touch with Junior, OK? You wouldn't be so fucking flashy if you didn't have him behind you, would you, eh? Yeah. Well, he fucking has, ain't he? To get the ball rolling on the Charlie search, X enlists two local con men, Cody and Tiptoes, to track her down. Right after he does that, though, X encounters Sydney, played by Ben Wishaw, the feckless nephew of the Duke. And though he would like to be rid of this annoyance immediately... <laughs> There's something that keeps him involved. X finds himself very attracted to Sydney's girlfriend, Tammy, played by Sienna Miller. Mm-hmm. I would say that he's downright transfixed. And I can't blame him. <laughs> I gotta say, Sienna Miller does catch the eye in this movie. Yes, she's very tan, very blonde, her hair, kind of that brassy blonde that, uh-huh. again, is very early 2000s. Everything about this movie is right. very tied to that era. Oh, for sure. The audio falls out where you just have the soundtrack, just the music as she's dancing on the dance floor, and oh, he's yeah. sitting there he in the is booth. transfixed. While Sydney's yammering away <laughs> in his ear. Yeah. This is a different part than I've ever seen from Ben Wishaw, too, which oh, yeah. people would probably know from, like, Paddington. And- well, he's also in the... Daniel Craig Bond movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He came back and they reunited on those. And recently he was in that Women Talking movie. But this just seems like a completely different part than he normally plays, which is like that soft-spoken, nice, Uh mild-mannered man. And this guy is this douchey wannabe. Yeah, yeah. A wannabe gangster. Well, that's a recurring theme Yeah, throughout the movie is people playing at it and wanting to be it. And that's something you see... Time and time again throughout mm-hmm. gangster material, whether you're talking about the Sopranos or Scorsese stuff or whatever, yeah, there's always that level of wannabe, hangers-on, wishing they were a part of it, wanting to be taken seriously in that world, even mm-hmm. though they probably aren't serious. Well, one thing that you 100% buy about that character is that his Sienna Miller girlfriend would be interested in a trade-up. Yeah, that's essentially what those type of women are doing. Yeah. And she very slyly slips her digits over to right. X while distracting Sydney. I guess my only complaint about Sienna Miller in this movie is, again, just like Duke, Slasher, and Gaza, I kind of wish she was in it more. She's really only in it in this scene where they meet. Then there's like the extended sequence of him calling her and then meeting at the hotel. And then she's in basically the ending. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. And those scenes are not particularly long, any of them, except for the sequence maybe where he's going to go fuck her in a hotel. Right. So I would say total screen time is probably like 10 minutes or something. Yeah, but she does make an impact when she's on screen. (laughs) She won the sixth man of the year award (laughs) off the bench. (laughs) I don't know when she really rose to fame. I mean, I know she was in like the Alfie movie with Jude Law. It was probably like all around this era. Yeah. She was never... A huge star in America, I would say. Other than Mysteries of Pittsburgh. (laughs) Yeah, that huge (laughs) box office juggernaut. (laughs) I don't even know if it was released in theaters. 
X tries to broker the sale of the pills to Liverpool gangsters Trevor and Shanks, but they refuse. Not interested. Informing him of their origin and that the vengeful Serbians have sent the assassin Dragon to recover the pills and kill the thieves. A lot of the movie feels grounded in reality, but there are certain things where it starts to feel almost silly. I, I kind of feel like the Dragon character. He's got kind of that 80s yeah. supervillain hair. Yeah, it sort of hints with that. The idea of this Serbian crime syndicate that has this feel that they'll just kill anyone in their way or even for the fact that you were even involved with it like that in these guys being afraid of that group. Like, I think that really rings true. But then this guy, th- there does seem to be a little bit of cartooning going on with him. Yeah, I would agree that the Serbian stuff is a little over the top. And I don't know that you even need it yeah, per I se. I think you could probably redo it where the threat is coming from within their own world already something like that but i guess they kind of wanted that faceless yeah foreign entity because at a certain point in the film and this is something again (laughs) to go with shane's bingo card that we talked about off mic (laughs) i was saying that at a certain point in the movie you feel like a lot of it is wrapped up and there's still almost an hour left right or 45 minutes or something and you're a little confused as to how this is all going to play out and they really do shift the focus then to this villain that you really haven't seen and it kind of gets a little weird i would say because i I feel like the focus remaining more on jimmy price and eddie temple and that side of it there's more joy there and that this serbian side of things it never really feels like there's a great connection there you're not even sure what's happening a lot of the time because you don't even see this guy's face until the end of the movie right as the duke had mentioned X's name to the Serbians that makes him also a target now. What the hell? (laughs) This guy is just ruining my life now. Yeah, because then it becomes a trail of dead with the first being one of those associates of the Duke who gets killed and then the iron put on him. That's right. And they talk about his heart boiling or something, Mm -hmm. which I'm not really sure how that would work. But it seems like he probably would be screaming more. I'm not really sure. They wanted you to not know that it's burning a person because you see it being put down on something. And then the big reveal eventually is that it was put down on the bare chest of a man. Yeah, yeah. But he would have had to have already been dead because you don't hear him scream or anything. It would be horrifying. But whatever. Needless to say, the two jobs that Mr. Price has asked X to accomplish have come with a fair amount of complications, and he's thinking, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. But he doesn't receive any sympathy from Mr. Price, who demands that he does it and does it fast. The love from the prior day is now long gone. Cody and Tiptoes manage to track down Kinky, Charlie's boyfriend, but he's dead, OD'd with the needle still in his arm, and Charlie is nowhere to be found. However, one of the junkies being pumped for info insinuates that maybe Kinky's death wasn't so accidental. And maybe Charlie's been abducted. Pressure is starting to mount on X. Morty and his other associates are not happy. And then Morty completely goes into business for himself. (laughs) Completely loses his head on some guy. (laughs) Freddy, this fucking fiasco at a coffee shop. Yeah. Like I said, I really like this movie and I do like the world that it's set in. There's a couple things... That I nitpick about it. One is this Serbian assassin. The other being any time that they flash back in time to when 
Morty and Jimmy and all those guys were younger and yeah. what they all look like. The hair is just insane. The 70s hair. Yeah. yeah. I'm not really sure what the point of the flashbacks is than I, I other than I guess the more things change the more they stay the same. Yeah. And it does help you learn a little bit more about Gene and right. his history eventually is revealed, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But this whole thing with crazy Larry yeah, and, right. and then this Freddy person and then Eventually, Jimmy is tied in with these flashbacks as well, and it seems like maybe Jimmy was using Gene mm-hmm. to get what he wanted and pull the strings in a certain way. Now, the whole flashback to why Morty has this problem with Freddy is pretty great. <laughs> he just falls asleep while driving, basically. Yeah. <laughs> They're disposing of a body, Morty, mm-hmm. and this Freddy person that they encounter in a coffee shop, and... What happened was, while they were doing so, Morty was in the back seat, Freddie was in the front seat, Freddie was fucked up on drugs, passes out a stoplight, they get arrested, pulled over. Since Morty is black, he right. ends up getting 10 years. I guess they don't really charge them with murder, but- I don't They really never know investigated what... the dead body. <laughs> they were just like, whatever with this dead body. <laughs> People weren't that broken up about it. <laughs> And then the other guy, the driver, Freddie, only gets two and a half years. So then right. X and Morty are fucking trying to come to grips with what's going on with Charlie and these ecstasy pills and the Duke. What the fuck is going on? And then they encounter this Freddie person and Morty beats the shit out of him and dumps all this hot tea on his face. Mm-hmm. But in a very violent, crazy way. Absolutely. And again, if this was a lot of other gangster movies i think we would just move on from this as just a scene right showing morty's violence but instead they're like oh shit you're gonna get arrested now you have to like basically go on the run and wait till the heat blows over that's the thing this freddy dude is basically homeless it seems like but because he's in like intensive care and like could die they think morty's going away forever if he does even though he's seemingly a free man well he hasn't been arrested yet i know but you're not even arrested for the assault if they know it's him I don't think they know it's him, but I guess they're just in. If he dies, there's going to be more of an investigation. Yeah, like there will be an investigation. Like yeah. right now. Yeah. You know, it's they... just another homeless person that's been beat up and had tea dumped <laughs> well, on him. Well, you're assuming he's homeless. I don't know that he is. I, I know. He just he does have that look, though. I know the type. As Morty is beating the shit out of this Freddy person who may or may not be homeless, we're also <laughs> seeing the Duke get killed here, too, which right. is shocking. Yeah. But we don't see who does it. You would think that there's a lot of people that want to kill him. He is a pompous douche. We just see him get shot. We don't Mm -hmm. know the context. We don't know by who. We don't know for sure that he's dead, although we assume he probably is. But to most of the other characters at this point, he's just missing during this time. He does seem like he's constantly talking shit to people that he shouldn't be. True. X gets his first call from this dragon character who knows who he is but doesn't quite know where he lives yet i'm assuming x lives off the grid because of his life so he probably isn't the easiest person to find that bit is pretty funny when he's like you know yeah come over to my flat or whatever and we'll talk about it do you know where i live no and he's like then fuck off and hangs up the phone so for those of you who maybe are a little confused about what the plot is oh yeah we're throwing a lot at you that's kind of how the movie is though yeah x works for jimmy X is successful, but he's basically a middleman. He wants to get out of the line of work, early retirement. But before he can really set that out there, 
Jimmy gives him two big jobs. One is tracking down this missing girl, Charlie. She's probably supposed to be late teens, early 20s, something like that. Drug addict, maybe. Mm. Just a wild girl with a wild crowd out there in the world. And then the other thing is to help find a buyer for this million tabs of ecstasy that these sketchy criminals have come into possession of, although Jimmy does not reveal that they stole them from Serbian war criminals. Simultaneously, X is trying to navigate these two things at once. At this point Uh, in time, we don't know that there's any connection between the two tasks. Of course, very reluctantly on both jobs and for different reasons. Finding someone, he's like, I'm not a private detective. Yeah, that one seems just out of the ordinary right. from what he would normally be involved with. And then so that's other... why he hires those other two people to do it. <laughs> yeah, much to uh, Jimmy's chagrin. Yeah. And then the other thing is more in his usual line of work, but it does seem With people he doesn't risky. want to work with. Yeah, these are untrustworthy people. It's a huge, huge amount of drugs, and now they've been determined to have come from a sketchy source, mm-hmm. which may cause further problems. X finally calls Tammy and arranges a little play date. She's way more aggressive than he is, which is sort of funny, but I think indicative of who she is and what she's trying to accomplish. At one point, she tells him that she's rubbing the phone on her fanny, mm-hmm. which in England means vagina. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. You didn't know that? No, I didn't. You thought she meant butt? Well, that's what I've always known fanny to be. Well, in England... Everything means vagina. Okay. <laughs> no, that's a, there's actually a, a great bit with John Oliver from Community mm. when they're doing the whole thing. In England, everything means vagina about fannies and stuff. And then yeah. Ken Jong says something like, let's order a pizza. And then John Oliver says, in England, we call them Italian fannies. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's pretty funny that you thought she meant that she was rubbing the phone on her butt. Look, I, I that still would have and and using the word fanny <laughs> for ass. That's really funny. <laughs> you were like, wow, this woman's sexy talk is weird. <laughs> what is she a toddler, fanny? <laughs> it was still enough for me. Yeah, it's a wild scene because Sienna Miller is super hot, and there's yeah. this whole sequence of her putting on the lingerie. It's very Got much. Like- Rolling Stones playing. Male gaze, yeah, all yeah. during Gimme Shelter. I know, it kind of does feel a little Scorsese montage moment. Oh, for sure. It's a lot to process because she's got this insane accent, one of those horrible accents, <laughs> <laughs> where she's adding Fs and Rs and things in the words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then she's also the hottest person you've ever seen. I know. <laughs> While engaging in some heated foreplay... Tammy mentioned Sydney's location, which X passes to Clarky surreptitiously as they're still trying to find the Duke and his shitty crew. Because remember, X and all these other people don't know the fate of the Duke, although they should, because it does seem as if someone's keeping a secret for no reason. Seriously, and it just seems like this fate would have always been looming for the Duke. Yeah, I guess it's a little bit of that Goodfellas shit, too, or... Something like that, where maybe the person who did kill the Duke is wondering if he was a person he's not supposed to kill, and mm-hmm. he's not sure yet. That kind of a thing. Yeah. Because it would theoretically completely contradict with what Jimmy had asked, and Jimmy's the boss. Right. 
But before X can seal the deal with Tammy, he is abruptly kidnapped and brought to Eddie Temple, played by Michael Gambon, R.I.P., mm-hmm. a wealthy crime lord. And just what a brutal time to be Ultimate kidnapped. blue balls. Yeah, just really tough. <laughs> I just like seeing a gorgeous woman come out in her underwear and just be <laughs> disappointed just and confused. Like ghosted, yeah. Yeah, a woman that hot being ghosted. I know, unreal. <laughs> baffled didn't had no experience didn't understand what <laughs> I'm was going sure. on they bring x to the rooftop of a building he's still wearing the robe from the hotel mm-hmm. they're hanging him over the edge they're go- going through a whole suge night routine <laughs> yeah, here this is rough eddie explains that charlie is his daughter whom he has recovered jimmy having recently lost a fortune due to bad investments he blames on eddie This is where you find out how much of a loser Jimmy is. Wanted her as a hostage until Eddie recouped his losses. Eddie gives X a recording revealing that Jimmy has been working as an informant for Skyland Yard, planning to betray X to the police once the pills were sold in exchange for immunity for his own crimes and X's money. Eddie demands that X sell him the pills instead Yeah, this is a real wake-up call because the movie has set up a world where it seemed like Jimmy was the top of the pyramid. And now we're learning, not only is he not the top of the pyramid, he's he's a laughingstock of the pyramid. (laughs) Compared to (laughs) what's going on with these high rollers. Big fish, small fish, Mm -hmm. that whole thing. To Eddie and his circle, Jimmy is the joke. And in case it wasn't clear, it'll later be explained to us that we're working our way through the layer cake, but that's what we're kind of doing now. Mm-hmm. We're understanding that at the bottom of this particular world is guys like the Duke and well, even below him is Sydney and the hangers on for him. That's so there's right. like True. There's that level additional layers at all times. Yeah, there's always an upward mm-hmm. movement. You've no doubt suffered Jimmy's uh, CID was keys as you was at school with routine. The other chap's Albert Carter, another twisted bastard from the old neighborhood, member of the regional crime squad. Now you sit back, relax, enjoy. It ain't like doing business for you lot in the old days. They've all gone squeaky on me. Tell me about it, Jim. I have to box real clever with those wired-up college boys from anti-corruption. Fucking dogs. Slags. Ten grand. All right, so go and wait, Jim. Ten K. Hardly seems to have to bother. Only so much, you know, sir, informal funds. What about Gene? Does he suspect anything? Well, about me working for the old firm. Listen, Gene is too loyal for his own good. He can do a cryptic person. I fucking believe it. You better believe it. Because it's fucking happening. Where did you get this? Mr. Troop made it for me. It's one of his little hobbies. I don't fucking believe it. Don't you want to hear what Jimmy has to say about you? I've got one for you. Plucked and ready for the pot. Just give us a name and he's gone. In time. I don't want to bunce. I want him out of the way. Flash young run. One of the new breed, isn't he? Reckons he can just waltz off into retirement. I want him away for 12. Well, if he's got a killer glass eye on board, he's looking at double figures. I'll put it there myself. Sounds personal, Jim. Yeah, he's got a few quid tucked away. He's going to come right in handy. It's me 
and set him up with that slippy account in the first place. Fucking ragged. Let slip, didn't he? You'll miss him when he's gone, Mr. Price. <laughs> that you? The flash runt who thinks he's retiring? You'd no idea what Jimmy was up to. How do you think these fuckers earn a living? I would have thought a smart young man like you would know that already. Can I have that? Mr. Troop. This looks like you, son. Smart part of town. Anyway, I'll keep an eye open, mustache off, get home, wash and brush up. Opera tonight, the damnation of Faust. Man sells his soul to the devil. It all ends in tears. These arrangements usually do. One more thing, young man. Always remember, the art of good business is being a good middleman. Bye-bye. One of the great lines of the movie here delivered by Eddie when he tells X that the art of good business is being a good middleman. And that's what X has done to this point, seemingly, but now the qualifications, the requirements of being that middleman are changing rapidly, and he's being expected to complete all different kinds of tasks i know not knowing his name is a part of it that plays into the end and everything but i am finding this annoying like how much we're saying like it's like robin quiver's boyfriend mr X. <laughs> <laughs> like how much we're having to say this now i'm used to it now i just think x is his name yeah. i don't know it doesn't matter <laughs> though he detests violence and up until very recently didn't even carry a gun mm-hmm X assassinates Jimmy at his home under the cover of night. And that is one of the shots that you talked about earlier, because like leading up to it, he's sitting there sort of pondering, I guess, what he's going to do. The camera zooms in to his eyes, and then when it starts zooming back out, he's in the backyard of Jimmy's. Yeah, and he's got the black yeah. tactical gear on. Right. He looks like he's about to dive in the ocean like a Navy SEAL or something. He looks like Matthew McConaughey in True Detective Season 1. And there's a little bit of hesitation. There's a lot of second guessing. In a way, it makes the scene a little bit more fun because it allows for the viewer to recognize that there's a moment when Jimmy is able to see what is about to happen mm -hmm. and understands it and it registers. And so you have that little bit of satisfaction that this person who betrayed X is getting it and knows who he's getting it from. Right. Because typically... If X had a little bit more experience, he isn't going to stand there and wait for him to turn around and recognize him and go through a whole hesitation. Oh, yeah. But because of his own misgivings about doing this, it allows for the audience to feel that catharsis. Because I think I was hoping that X would be able to get that revenge and that part of the revenge is Jimmy knowing that it's X doing it. I always think one of the more interesting characters of the whole group is Gene and how he fits into everything. Now, Gene is Jimmy's guy, but he's also friends with Morty. And it's sort of weird when they're getting pulled into these jobs by Jimmy in the beginning. Gene is sort of like reassuring Morty that everything's okay. Really, both of these jobs are high stakes. Obviously, the drugs with the Serbian thing. But even Eddie Templeton or whatever and what we start to learn about him being involved in that world. I don't know why Gene is acting like this is okay. I think from 
Gene's perspective, he trusts Jimmy, Jimmy beyond a shadow of a doubt. He's sort of like Polly in The Sopranos. Yeah, or something. right. He's just a loyal soldier. Muscle guy. He's never going to question the boss. Yep. So if this is what Jimmy's saying... It must be good. Yeah. Clarky spots Sydney's ridiculous yellow Range Rover, so they've now got a lead on the stolen ecstasy. Yeah, nice inconspicuous vehicle. While X arranges to meet Dragon the next afternoon via cell phone. But Gene and Morty learn of Jimmy's fate and then confront X with Gene beating the shit out of X until he tells him that he has evidence of Jimmy's betrayal. <laughs> yeah. After he plays for them the CD provided by Eddie Temple, Gene and Morty seem to acknowledge X as the new acting boss. The only thing I could really think of here is I guess they were impressed by his decisiveness. Yeah, that shows something. And plus, these guys are not strategizers or decision makers in this world. That's true, yeah, they're not. And even though he goes from about to be killed to now they're just treating him as the new boss. But then there's a quick moment after this where they're immediately basically acting like he's an idiot again. (laughs) Yeah, he is an idiot. Yeah, But him recognizing the betrayal and not even having to ask and understanding what needed to be done and doing it right is enough to indicate that he's the guy that they're going to follow now you just sort of fall into it yep even earlier in the movie when they're in these drug dealing scenes it is always x holding the room and calling the shots and those guys are the muscle the scene early on before morty beats the shit out of freddy you kind of get the sense that morty has it going on upstairs that he's aware of things and he knows of things Mm -hmm. perhaps there's a racial component as to why he's not given more responsibility i don't know but he definitely seems slightly different than gene Uh, who seems straight muscle meathead yeah follower follower would be the right word where i don't get that follower sense from morty necessarily right he carries himself more like a leader that's true So it is sort of hard to gauge what their levels were in the organization before Jimmy gets killed. In other words, was X considered above them? Like, could he tell them what to do or could they tell him what to do? Or could neither of them tell each other what to do? I don't know. Unclear. Yeah, it it definitely is unclear. Yeah. Roger Ebert compared Vaughn's work in Layer Cake favorably to some of Martin Scorsese's gangster films. And I do think there's some truth in that Layer Cake is a slick film brimming with bravado, but there's also a palpable strength in that simplicity that we've been talking about. Oh, yeah. There's not a whole lot of winking at the camera. It's a straightforward, one last job that goes wrong scenario. It's pretty clear. As Ebert wrote in his review... The movie was directed by Matthew Vaughn, who produced Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and Snatch. And this one works better than those films because it doesn't try so hard to be clever and tries harder to be menacing. It's difficult to take danger seriously when it's packaged in fancy camera work, although Guy Ritchie's Lock, Stock did have a carefree visual genius. Layer Cake is more in the Scorsese vein, in which a smart and ambitious young man has it all figured out, and then gradually loses control to old-fashioned hoods who don't have the patience for prudence when it's easier to just eliminate anyone who gets in their way. 
The problem is that every dead enemy tends to have a more dangerous living enemy standing next in line. Yeah, I kind of feel like, and it's what I like about this movie, and what I like about Matthew Vaughn in directing this movie, it feels like he would kind of just drift further away from that as he would go on and lean a little bit more into the silly stylized stuff. Are you saying that as a positive or a negative? A negative, for me personally. Like the goofy stuff in Kingsman and even Kick-Ass, which is a movie that I like. Yeah, I know what you mean. I do think, though, that the Kingsman is probably just appealing to a different audience altogether. Yeah, and I would agree that it's not really my vibe either. Although the first one I I thought was fine. Me too. I, I liked it, but the goofy stuff I'm not as into. Yeah, there are a lot of directors that aren't, based in comedy that don't have their background in comedy that try to make their scripts funny and sometimes it works and there's plenty of movies that aren't necessarily comedies that are very funny we did the nice guys right i guess that's like a year and a half ago. well i do feel like things like that yeah i think layer cake kind of fits into that shane black yeah and i don't know that it's as funny yeah but yeah it's got that little humorous edge to it it's not deathly serious even though the characters do take the threat of violence way more seriously than some movies yeah yeah i think that it's important that if you're going to traffic in this world that you set up stakes and it just so happens that in layer cake the stakes are closer to what we would consider the stakes to be yeah whereas normally the stakes are i don't know if arnold schwarzenegger doesn't defuse the bomb the world is gonna blow up but daniel craig in this movie is just worried about getting killed or beat up or something and that's much more relatable totally or arrested which is another thing oftentimes in these movies the criminals don't seem that concerned about breaking the law i know even though they're constantly doing things that seem like so easy to get caught yeah the whole sequence of morty kind of being like all right well i fucked up and beat the shit out of this guy in public we're gonna have to lay low now yeah Yeah, that never would happen in most correct gangster criminal movies especially since he didn't actually kill him he just beat up a guy and that's enough to be like i gotta lay low now yeah and that's a different vibe than a lot of these movies bring agreed the first draft of the screenplay was 408 pages long the book on which it was based is 344 pages. I can't believe the script was longer than the book. Clearly, there's a lot of material from the original source novel that didn't make its way onto the screen. I'd say so. But I think for movie purposes, what you have is lean and mean, and you don't really need to do too much more lest you change the whole tone of the movie. I think you're going for a very specific... I hate to keep using the same words, but sleek yeah, vibe. And if you start adding in more plot, I, I don't f- feel like it's going to work. X's first order of business is to try and solve the dragon issue. This attempt does not go super well. X hires a hitman to ambush and kill dragon, and this dude seems so legit. Yeah. You have the utmost confidence in this dude. He's curt and to the point. Needs to be home by a certain time. Makes X seem foolish and naive. He's also like a part of one of the, I don't know, one of the friend gangs. Yeah, he's tied in with that Trevor and Shanks who he was trying to sell the pills to. So there is a little bit of an association there. Not to keep going back to Tarantino and Pulp Fiction, but I was kind of getting vibes of the wolf. Oh, yeah. Except the joke is then he's not. (laughs) Right. 
Dragon is one step ahead and shocks X by killing the hitman first, then over cell phone making X promise to recover the stolen pills within one day. So they do this thing where they think they see a guy that's going to be their target because, Uh of course, X doesn't even know what Dragon looks like. So his whole plan is the dumbest shit you've ever heard. Come meet me at this statue. I'm going to hide in the bush with my hitman and we're going to kill you when you go to the place I told you to meet. But I don't know who you are. Part of it is that he's going to call him, so they're going to see somebody. No, that's not part of it. Oh. He just thinks of that yeah. in the moment. He's right, like, you know what? Right, right, Because even the hitman guy's like, hey, this is your show. Do whatever you want. Yeah. Like, there was no plan. So then he calls the guy. He sees this guy reach into his pocket. He thinks he's taking the cell phone out. They are going to kill this man. <laughs> but then right in that moment, the hitman's head explodes. He's been shot from the distance. It takes X a few seconds to even realize what just happened because there's a silencer. It's a whole thing. It is kind of funny. Although, I don't really know what their plan actually was. They were just going to kill a person in broad daylight and then just walk away and act like that was their whole plan. Well, they were in the bushes. <laughs> the grassy knoll. Yeah, that's right. It worked before. So when does the target get here, then? The target? Um, the target's gonna be here at exactly midday. Where? Here, right fucking here. You got a photo? No, it's okay, don't worry about it. Who's worried? I'm gonna have some binoculars, I'll give you a little signal on me. I could get the 10 past one home from here. Let's have a little recce. After we do the business, walk slowly back. Remember, it's a stroll in the park. Don't run, whatever you do. The first five minutes, nobody's going to have a clue what's going on. Hopefully, it'll be mayhem. So try to stay relaxed. Don't do anything to draw attention to yourself. Or me. Afterwards, take me to the underground station. I'll look after myself. There. Time. Six minutes to 12. I hope this fella's not going to be late. Maybe he'll be early. That'd be nice. See that guy on the left? Big fella marching up the hill. That's our man. Are you sure? For fuck's sake, I'm gonna call him. It's up to you. You're the client. As soon as he answers, he's gone, okay? Okie dokie. Stand by. Now. Yes. You English 
You have no idea of honor and respect. I usually kill for less. I want my cargo and the Duke. I haven't got your pills. Just give me a day. <coughs> Don't piss in my pocket and tell me it's raining. Now listen to me for the last time. You will bring me what is mine. No, I don't. Jesus! You have one more day. See you tomorrow at dusk by the statue. And remember, I will be watching you. In the novel, the protagonist and his hired cold sniper shoot an American tourist, mistaking him for the hitman dragon, D-R-A-G-A-N, by mm-hmm. the way, in case anyone was yeah, confused. Yeah, I got it. This movie was originally going to play the scene out the same way, but Sony Pictures felt uncomfortable with killing the American and asked for the scene to be changed. It was. Dragon snipes the sniper before he takes his shot at the tourist, which producer and director Matthew Vaughn's commentary states makes for a better scene. I agree. Yeah. I get that there's some comedy, and it, it almost is reminiscent of the opening of The Killer, the new Fincher movie, True. where he shoots the wrong person. But I'm saying I get why that's funny, but this is better because it catches you so off guard yeah, that right. the sniper just gets killed. Because as I was trying to build it up in that paragraph that I wrote, you believe this guy is on the ball. He's listening to headphones, learning French. Yeah. Which at first you take that to be he's so locked in that he doesn't even need to focus on what's going exactly. on. Exactly. That's how it reads in the movie. You're like, this guy is on another level. Laser focused. And then he's just wiped out immediately. <laughs> A joke. And so it's better that they keep it slimmed and trimmed down and you just jump right oh, into it. Oh, I that agree. Payoff. Because if he fires Especially first because, and then, you know. Yeah, I know, but it, the same joke still works because you are thinking, oh, this is the guy. Like, you're falling for X's plan. You're getting wrapped up in that. And you're like, this is the guy. The joke still works because it's like, well, it's not the guy because you just got blasted by someone else. Like, yeah. I don't think you have to kill him. There's some things that don't make a ton of sense to me about what Dragon does and doesn't do. I don't know why he's so fine with allowing this to continue to play out because he's made out to be this ruthless no, I know. beheading monster. And now he's like, okay, well, you get another day. That's now? the thing with the Dragon character and where this all goes. It's sort of hard for me to believe that he just doesn't kill X and everyone in his crew for even being involved in this. He's yeah. sort of portrayed as an Anton Chigurh, you know? I guess type. what you can take away is maybe that later in the movie, they do clearly reveal that Dragon has always been watching them. Yeah. And so he literally knows what's going on. Right. And he knows that X does not have these pills. Yes. And so... Since they've had trouble locating the Duke, it seems like maybe no one knows where the pills are, and so he's just using X to find the pills, and True. he doesn't really care if X delivers them or not. Because yeah, you he'll can just buy get that. them himself, right? Eventually, I don't know. That's the only way you can really justify him allowing X to run around like a horse's ass after he already tried to hire an assassin to kill Dragon. Oh, I know. Even though Gene is furious over X's big dramatic fuck-up in getting an associate killed in broad daylight in a public park. (laughs) He does have some information of his own that he's been holding back. Gene shows X and Morty the corpse of the Duke, 
who was killed by one of Gene's men when Slasher threatened to go to the police if Jimmy didn't help them out of their situation. Now Slasher and the Duke are dead. Yes. So we see the full flashback now, which was only teased out in bits and pieces, Mm -hmm. where we just knew the Duke had been shot. We didn't know the context. And we didn't know that it was Gene and his man who had done it and then just kept it a secret. I know. Well, it's sort of unclear to me. I know this whole thing erupts and this guy reacts to something, but were they there to kill these two? No, but I think think once you start talking about going to the police and stuff, it's like, okay, these fucking Yeah, we got to shut these two up. They do seem like a liability. There does seem to be another through line, another theme, which is Gene's whole thing about people pretending to be gangsters and Mm want to be gangsters and that just fits in with that i guess they needed to have a reason a for the duke to be killed in a way that didn't directly tie in with the plot they just wanted to have there be some reason because that's probably what happens to a lot of guys like the duke who think that they're gangsters they end up just getting killed over dumb shit i'm sure because they're not professional they're running their mouth they don't know what they're doing they can't handle the situation Yeah, and so I guess they come up with this as a way to illustrate the difference between guys like X and Gene and those type of people and the people like Slasher and Gaza and the Duke who don't ever raise above their level. Now that they've located Sidney's ridiculous car, they're able to get with him. He brings X to Duke's old hideout, and as he tries to bargain with Gaza for the pills, the police arrive. While this is all going on, Dragon is watching from afar, so he's witnessing it. X and the Duke's gang barely escape the raid, and Dragon sees through binoculars that the pills are confiscated. Mm -hmm. However, it turns out that X himself had arranged for the raid with Cody and Tiptoes posing as officers to secure the pills. Kind of uh, hilarious playing the parts. (laughs) Really. (laughs) Amming it up. Chewing the scenery. (laughs) Digging into it. X delivers the Duke's severed head to Dragon as a peace offering. Satisfied, Dragon reports to the Serbians that the police have seized the drugs. The Serbians accept the loss, which is revealed to be a small amount in comparison to their overall manufacturing capacity. Of course. Marcel Lurz plays a Serbian drug dealer, Slavo, the guy who gets ripped off, the guy that actually talks shit to Slasher that gets her to freak out. Mm -hmm. Yet... Being a Romanian actor, he actually speaks Romanian with his crew. Okay. But the subtitles, even on Voodoo, were saying Serbian. Ha. But he's not actually speaking Serbian. This is all a bit of stroke of genius here, although it's a little confusing again. So let's circle back to the raid. They're in this warehouse. Mm-hmm. It seems like a drug deal is going to happen between Gaza and X and... The tablets of ecstasy are going to change hands, the whole thing, blah, blah, blah. Sydney and others are buzzing around annoyingly. Of course. The police come in, chase them through the building. This is England, not America, so there's not really any guns being fired. True. <laughs> in America, everyone would just be dead. <laughs> yeah. End of movie. Of course. But, okay, then it's revealed that Cody and Tiptoes are taking the drugs away, and we know Cody and Tiptoes from earlier because those are the guys that X hired. hired to find Charlie, who uh-huh. Charlie is never seen again and right. not really factored into That's the movie That's just like an afterthought. All. Yeah. Were all of the police fake? I feel like they had to be in order yeah, to be Yeah, but who are real. these people? I don't know. 
This is almost like the movie The Sting now. Well, like it, it, where too many it's like, wait a minute, they built a fake building? Like what is going on? It's just another one is, you know, Cody and Tiptoes, they have their whole crew, you know. It's very elaborate with a lot of extras. Seriously. <laughs> but I guess one of the things that stands out here is when they're escaping by boat, X and Gaza and all them. Sydney almost doesn't make it. Yeah. He's like hanging on to the boat and uh X has to pull him on. Yeah. Look, this body of water doesn't seem that dangerous. I feel well, like I think he, he's probably just he doesn't want to be left behind for the cops. Right, right. And but even then though, it's like, well, X can't leave him behind because then they'll know that they're not real cops. No, I know. He's got to make this look real for everybody. Yeah, yeah. So he's got to be just as panicked and thinking blindly. But at the same time, if your gut reaction in panicking would be to leave him, you have to know like, well, I can't actually leave him because I can't have anyone know that these cops aren't real. Exactly. <laughs> So maybe Sydney just thinks that X is a really nice guy. Mm-hmm. Well, he won't think that for long. When X and his crew arrive at Eddie's warehouse to sell the pills as arranged, Eddie's henchmen relieve them of the drugs at gunpoint, and Eddie welcomes him to the layer cake of criminal hierarchy. Ah, uh, yes, with a little speech about the facts of life. Yes, because this is going to be Eddie's revenge for... Jimmy's inconveniencing him and his daughter with this attempted abduction and the whole rigmarole. And even though Jimmy is already dead. And X has really done a lot of favors for Eddie at this point, I feel like. Yeah, but (laughs) it's that idea of Omar, basically, in The Wire. What are you going to do, call the cops? Yeah, exactly. That we robbed you of $3 million worth of ecstasy? Well, Come on. Mm Mm-hmm. And we are out muscling you, so there's not shit you can do about it. That's right. basically how it works, and he's explaining that to and him. And he's sort of like, this dies today, there's no revenge, this is it. You guys are just screwed. Well, yeah, because, yes, maybe they could take revenge on one person, but in any sort of war or anything like that, they would just be crushed and annihilated, sure. so there's no point in engaging in it. And he does sort of chide... X for not seeing this and understanding this. Although the funny thing is, he of course did. Yeah. Having anticipated this double cross, X arranges Trevor and Shanks to gun down Eddie's men in an armed robbery, take the drugs, and sell them via Dizzy so he can settle his accounts. The hitman that X got killed by Dragon was the associate of Trevor and Shanks. So helping them out here by by turning them on to this armed robbery score yep. is basically a make good. The gang assembles for lunch at the Stoke Park Country Club honoring their new boss and it is a mirror of what we saw earlier in the film when Jimmy summons X to lunch and then requests these two favors. There's the whole rigmarole of right. sending the waiter away for privacy. Everything is happening yes. sort of the same except the difference is X declines their offer of leadership and follows through on his initial plan to retire. They tease it out in a way where you think that he's going to be seduced by his yeah. own ambitions. He's going to get a taste of being in charge, taste of the top of the pyramid, and want to pursue that, be the new Jimmy. And even the narration kind of insinuates that he's thinking that and right. leading you into that direction. And so when he shows up for this meeting with the new gang and everyone's sort of... Yeah. Bending the knee. You have uh, Clarky saying, The king is dead. Long live the king. Yeah. Very baby faced Tom Hardy in totally. that scene. He yeah. looked so young, I know. actually, in that moment. I do think it's kind of a surprise that 
he turns them down. They're definitely not building it that way. King is dead. Long live the king. Well, I'm honored. But for me, this is all over. Getting out. What was true then is true now. Have a plan, stick to it. So I'm sure you gentlemen must have lots to discuss, but I have no business being here. Someone to meet. Adios, amigo. Paul the boatman. Kinky. The Jew. Slasher. Kilburn Jerry. Crazy Larry. Mr. Lucky. Troop. Jimmy. I don't want to add my name to that list. My name? If you knew that, you'd be as clever as me. I'm sorry. Suddenly, Tammy's there, too, waiting for him. And with Tammy on his arm, X leaves the club but is shot unexpectedly by a jilted yet apologetic Sydney who runs off, X collapses, seemingly bleeding to death on the steps of the country club while Tammy tries to clean up the blood and is screaming. Yeah, I have some thoughts on the ending of this movie. Well, this is your chance to share them. So I get the instinct and desire here to not want to have the happy ending and have this all button up cleanly but I always feel like this ending doesn't really hit smoothly for me I always walk away feeling off I'm not saying I would have loved go off into the sunset and everything's great and I get that there's some unforeseen consequences to his actions and that's a part of it it just doesn't (laughs) the old Carlito's way ending it just doesn't hit right for me I know what you mean and I have to agree I, I I don't think that this movie has the vibe for this ending and so it's a weird sentence that i'm going to say here because it makes it seem like you have to be a certain level of quality and this has nothing to do with quality Mm -hmm. but i don't feel like this movie earns this ending now you could make a much shittier movie that does earn this ending so i'm saying it has nothing to do with quality it's about what the movie is i agree and i want to be clear that i really like this movie and this it doesn't take away of how I feel about it. Sort of like the end of Contempt. Yeah, it is one of those abrupt 70s-style endings, even though Contempt was from the 60s, but you know what I'm saying. I do. Where you're just sort of thrown by the abrupt jolt Mm -hmm. shock ending. The original ending, the ending Sony Pictures wanted producer and director Matthew Vaughn to use, shows X driving off into the sunset with his new girlfriend, Tammy, Vaughn secretly recorded the alternate ending showing X being shot by Sydney to the screening audience and ended up using it based on popular vote, stating, quote, it was not like other American movie endings. And yeah, I would agree, it is not. And I don't know that that would 
necessarily be the right ending either. I agree. Driving off totally. happily ever after. It's not like I watched that clip and thought, oh, man, it would be so much better if it ended this way. Did you watch that clip? I think it's available on YouTube. Yeah, I was watching some stuff on YouTube. I at least saw like somebody talking over it. It is reminiscent more of Carlito's way or even at times to go back to Omar, how he gets killed. Yeah. Or just sort of that shocking thing where you think you've got the main thing buttoned up, but then that other thing comes back to haunt you. Mm-hmm. And that is believable. And there is a certain amount of poetic justice to the whole thing where X lives his life very carefully, but he underestimated something that's very basic. And you don't have to be a gangster to understand being a jilted lover, especially if someone as gorgeous as Sienna Miller uh, yeah, is leaving you in the dust. Not at all. I'm as far from a gangster as possible and very familiar. Although I think if it was me or you, we would just be so happy to have known Sienna Miller. We probably, we would have probably already broken up with her ourselves because we couldn't handle it, the <laughs> yeah. pressure. <laughs> exactly. Actually, we would have never even talked to her in the first place. What am I saying? <laughs> <laughs> Folks, Jason Statham's production company is said to have the rights to produce a sequel entitled Viva La Madness, with Statham taking the lead role from Craig... On September 17th, 2015, it was reported that Viva La Madness would be a TV show, Ah, which at this point were nine years ago, so I'm assuming mm-hmm. that is not happening. going to happen. Yeah, so right now, it doesn't seem as if we're moving forward with any potential sequel projects or, or anything like that. It's always weird to me, though, when they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to take this existing IP and we're going to turn it into a television series or we're going to make it into a remake or whatever they're going to do. But then we're going to recast it and then they'll probably end up changing a bunch of stuff because they always do. And then in the end, you're left with, "Okay, so you really thought it was that important to call this layer cake because this doesn't really even have anything to do with layer cake now you have a different actor in the lead you can't just come up with a different british criminal story you know what i mean i think there's this bizarre obsession that the studios have had with pre-existing ip and it's stuff that wasn't even that big to begin with and it's become such a crutch that it's going to handicap the industry moving forward into decades going into the future because there's not going to be other things to bastardize later because you didn't come up with anything new for like 20 years. I know, and this probably isn't the case, but I associate this all with Tron Legacy. <laughs> that's like when this <laughs> that's like when this started in my mind. <laughs> what? That we have to revisit things from 20 plus years ago and bring it back and continue it. You think that Tron Legacy was the first legacy sequel? Maybe that's where the name comes from. I don't know that it was or it probably wasn't, but like that's when I started feeling like, oh, this is a thing that's going to happen all the time now. Yeah, it definitely was not the first yeah. legacy sequel or anything like that, but it may have been the start of, or around the start of the craze or whatever you want to call it. Because like before that, I didn't really think about it, and I felt like the things that I was experiencing were generally new IP or continuation of something that was recent. Yeah. But now... We're blending a lot of things together because at least that's a sequel, and it's a sequel to something that was from a long time ago, but it's a new story. I'm even thinking of when they just take... Like, they did a remake of a movie we did on this show, a different listener request, Overboard. Uh Uh-huh. But when we covered Overboard for the podcast, and we were reading out box office numbers and stuff, this movie was never even a hit. 
Yeah, that's and true. There's so many things they remake, and I'm just saying, Layer Cake was right. a cult movie. It was marginally a hit. I think it was. It made a little bit more than its budget, but right. it, it it was more of a launching pad for both Daniel Craig and Matthew Vaughn than anything else. So if Jason Statham wants to adapt as a producer some sort of starring vehicle for him set in the British crime world, which is basically every movie he's ever been in, <laughs> yeah. why does it have to have anything to do with Layer totally. Cake? Totally. It could be a completely new... And this maybe feels like I'm picking on Layer Cake or some potential sequel, and that's not really what I'm doing. I'm just saying like it's baffling to me that almost every movie we cover on this podcast, when you get to the end, there's some talk of keeping it going or rebooting it or sequel or franchise or well, it's not whatever. Even like this was like a massive movie or anything. I, that's either. my point. They just yeah. do it with everything. It, I know. And I don't understand even what the value is. Rather than saying, okay, Jason Statham has plenty of money. He can access the best writers, the best directors that he wants. Why not hire some people and say, here's a movie called Layer Cake. My buddy fucking made it. <laughs> well, I know he's he obviously worked with Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie, yeah. so I'm assuming he knows Matthew Vaughn too since he was, right. you know producing the movie so i want you to watch layer cake and write me something influenced by this in this style like you don't have to just take their thing and you know what i'm saying no i know i don't know what value there is so i see on like dawn of the disc the other day that this movie from the 70s the gambler with james con i've never seen this but i just see it on there and i'm like 70s movie with james con i'm interested then I'm like scrolling through streaming and I see it. There's like a 2014 Mark Wahlberg remake. Yeah, yeah. It. Like I've never seen either. Yeah. Movies that aren't even on my radar have been remade. We're in a time devoid of creativity, devoid of hope, <laughs> <laughs> devoid of the future. 2004, when Layer Cake was released, was a much simpler time. I don't really have a memory of this coming out in theaters. No, I didn't know. Like I said, I didn't know it until a friend showed it to me on DVD a few years after it came out. I would have to say, though, that 2004, there was probably eras where I was not oh, in yeah. tune with what was coming out. A fun sort of tie back to Love Actually that we did not that long ago. Is, and that was a 2003 movie. Through the two movies, you see the evolution of the construction of that egg building or whatever in <laughs> London. It's in very early stages in Love Actually, and then it's still being constructed, but like 75% of the way there in this movie. Okay. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, I was thinking, man, our listeners really hitting us hard here with this British stuff back to back. Well, yeah. They know how worldly we are. Next up, we have a listener request once again from our old friend Aaron, who's really just keeping the show afloat. dominating yeah. us right now with these listener requests for 2024. We decided to mix in... Stevens, before we got to Aaron's, obviously he he paid for two in a row. He did love, actually, so whatever. We just gave him the next one in January. So that's coming up next. I think we'll save the overall major listener request list for next time. Okay. But since next one will be a listener request as well, we will read that just to get everyone on the same page. I really don't think it's changed much from the last time. Although you will notice, like, we didn't really sell many more at the end of the year. So some of the months do only have one, which is what we were always kind of building towards. And then right now, I think we have one slot available, maybe two. I don't really think it matters how many slots we say we have because it's not like there's a big rush anymore now that they're $100. <laughs> so whatever. If we get one, we may be able to do another one. But yeah. right now, Let's wait and see if we get one. We figured out the perfect market price to make demand go down. Yeah. 
So if we do get one, that would be for August, and then there may be another one for December as well. We're kind of waiting to see if something else plays out. Anyway, mm-hmm. any questions, ideas, concerns, issues, anything listener request related, God forbid I forgot your listener request, if you listen next week and you're not on the list or something, anything, greatestpod at gmail.com. I will respond to you. I check it most days now. Sometimes I forget. If I don't write back to you right away, that doesn't mean that I didn't see it, especially if I'm going to read it on the show. Sometimes I don't reply because I'm kind of saving it, and I want to think about my reply for the show. Mm-hmm. If I start doing a reply in my head already, it's kind of... We understand. Plus, it's more fun if I'm experiencing the email in real time with Matt. Oh, agreed. So there's occasionally a surprise or two when I'm reading them out loud. <laughs> Yeah, I'm Although, so yeah, just caught off guard by what you guys are saying. <laughs> You'll find yourself having to stop and be like, I'm not sure I can say this on the show. but <laughs> Greatestpod at gmail.com. We'd love to read your email. We're going to read one coming up soon. Let's get into segments, and we'll start with recommendations. What are you doing? What? what? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Now, neither of us have anything new that we've seen, but we're both kind of pulling into the archives, going back in time. So do you want to go first, or do you want me to? I'll go first, and it's with a movie that I love watching over the winter when it gets kind of snowy out. It has that kind of vibe. We've done it for the show. I watched it on Blu-ray, but it is streaming on Paramount Plus right now. Another Daniel Craig movie, of course, I'm talking about David Fincher's Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yes. Just a great, great movie to watch in winter, anytime really, but it's such a great winter movie. I feel like it's probably the most underrated David Fincher movie. Yeah. Because it never really gets mentioned by either faction of the Fincher heads. You have the old school Fincher people that are Fight Club 7. Mm-hmm that world and then you have the more modern which would be social network gone girl whatever yeah more modern stuff and for whatever reason it seems like the one that always gets left out in the cold is the girl with the dragon tattoo even though i think it's one of his best films i'm not gonna say it's his best but i think it's better than the original version of the movie I think Daniel oh, yeah. Craig and Rooney Mara are awesome in it. And Daniel Craig is, is bringing that kind of same thing from Lair Cake a little bit, where he is cool, but he's kind of a loser at the same time. Loser might be hard, well, but yeah. dumb. Yeah. There's a certain kind of dumbness. Right. Where he can also be smart, too. It's, yeah, it's, exactly. a, it's a dumbness yeah. in a certain way. Because I think his character in Lair Cake is smart, but, but he's also dumb and naive. Can't see things coming that maybe he should have. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little full of himself. Right. Doesn't quite have the grasp that he thinks he does on everything. I know. But it is one of those ones that when we saw it in the theater, certainly shocking certain moments. But the more time goes on, the more I love that movie. That was a perfect year of let's get fucking hyped for the social network and this hot new cast. So much casting buzz over Elizabeth Salander. Yep. Everyone's excited for this. That was, in a lot of ways, because of the social network, the most buzzy Fincher's ever been in his entire career. I True. would 
guess that the social network was probably the biggest hit of his career. So it was a whole big thing where you're like, yeah, this will be ready by like next year. And we were seeing that right after Christmas or sometime around right. there. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Very exciting. <laughs> Different. Where time. was that streaming again? I believe Paramount Plus. My recommendation this week is streaming on Hulu. It was my favorite film of the year it came out, which I don't think was last year. <laughs> I'm having trouble. No, what obviously it wasn't 2023. Hey, yeah. But was it 2022? Or was it 2021? Uh, dude, I don't know. Anyway, Tatane. It's sad, but th- that's where my sense of time has gotten to. Directed by the French filmmaker Julia DeCornau, which I believe is how you say her name. I rewatched this on New Year's Eve with a friend of ours who had not seen it. Mm-hmm. It's quite the movie to introduce to someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say totally insane this is one of the only directors that i'm legitimately excited for her career i want to see everything she does i feel like we have the new cronenberg the new lynch the new voice the new something not that she has to be those people she can be herself but i'm just saying like in terms of an intriguing interesting filmmaker what can you say? It's a serial killer who's a woman who fucks a car and gets pregnant by the car and then <laughs> pretends to be a boy. You know, you've heard so if you're not you've sold. seen it a thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A tale as old as time. <laughs> <laughs> but it really becomes this endearing movie about identity and about gender, but in a, in a non heavy handed way, in a way that makes you just think about human beings and relationships and love and what it means to love someone beyond identity even it's not just gender that's almost like simplifying it it's more about who you are as a person and it's it goes in these very unexpected directions totally it's unlike anything i've ever seen i can agree with that and it's just weird to me that a movie like that is streaming for free on Hulu, <laughs> that any just your mom could press play on that. <laughs> I think my mom would also be pressing stop on it pretty quick. <laughs> yes, and for those of you who don't remember, Julia DeCornell directed Raw. Yeah, I just like both of her movies a yeah, lot. Raw, another lovable family classic. <laughs> I would actually say Raw is probably less weird. And Definitely. It's about cannibals. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Okay, so let's move right along to everyone's favorite segment, the segment that's taking the world by storm, listener email. Yes. All right. All right. All right, you go ahead. You go ahead. You keep it secret. But you remember this. When you control the mail, you control information. Today's email comes to us from Ken, who I believe we've heard from before. Just Ken. I think he sent us an email. I know we've heard from Ken. I'm pretty sure it was an email, but I don't know. All right. Who knows? We're flush with listeners. Are we? (laughs) (laughs) Well, a lot of them have the same name, which makes it easier. We have millions of listeners, but three names. (laughs) It's kind of hard to keep track of them. (laughs) Ken writes, Dear Zach and Matt, I believe I heard you invite listeners to write in about the movies that we've seen in theaters recently. I know you... Both have disdain for the Oscars. <laughs> I would say I, more me. Yeah. I Matt pretends he loves it. He's not allowed to say he doesn't like it or else Lindsay will yell at him. We're a big uh, award show household. Well, maybe I'll come over for the Oscars this year. Yeah. 
to be fair, you originally got me into being into the Oscars as much as I was. I know that's my whole thing in life is and then to you, get you into things and then immediately bail. not be into it anymore. <laughs> and say how stupid it is that anyone would like it. <laughs> well, once you like something, then I know it's not cool. <laughs> I know you both have disdain for the Oscars, so it's with some reticence that I admit I actually enjoy them and use precursor races and critics' prizes to stay current. Well, yeah, we've all been there. I, sure. I've i definitely had long stretches where I was super engaged with award season and paid attention to it. Now, I could not even tell you who won at the Golden Globes. Didn't watch it. Didn't read about it. Didn't know who was nominated. I think... Emma Stone won because I saw a clip of Jennifer Lawrence mouthing to the camera, if I don't win, I'm going to leave, which I can't believe she was nominated for No Hard Feelings. <laughs> but anyway, whatever. But, you know, things change, and I just become disenchanted with the Oscars for some reason. I just find the whole thing gross now. More the yeah. award show. I, I don't mind knowing who wins. Right. To keep track of that. I understand. But the actual ceremony and watching the whole fucking thing they've been oh. struggling to put together a good show forever yeah since it started <laughs> they've never figured it out when the oscar nominations are announced i usually have already seen every best picture nominee a tradition enabled first by movie pass and now by amc a list oh in 2023 i've seen 15 movies in the theater since halloween plus Barbenheimer this summer, and I would like to give you a brief rundown of some of the movies that I liked or that I could imagine you're reviewing on the show. These are in no particular order. Oppenheimer and Killers of the Flower Moon are too obvious to dwell on, but I think the best picture race is a tug-of-war between those two with Barbie as the potential feel-good spoiler. I think Barbie will probably be nominated, but I would be really horrified if barbie won best picture i don't know what's gonna happen anymore with this stuff there's movies that i don't think are that impactful that end up getting these big pushes right at least barbie made a shit ton of money, well that's so true there's some impact it, somewhere okay yeah from a mainstream and box office perspective barbie was a huge cultural impact i, I guess i just mean i don't know are people gonna care about barbie in a couple years I don't know, but probably more than they care about Nomadland or whatever the well, fuck. Well, that's true. These other Best Picture wins. <laughs> yeah. I mean, most of the things that win Best Picture, nobody ever gave a shit about. That's true. The movie that I would be the most curious to hear you review is Poor Things, which we did talk about last time out. Yeah, I'm a little offended. No, he sent this email before Yeah, this that. email is from yeah. the end of December. I actually didn't like it nearly as much as the lobster or the favorite so don't take my curiosity as an endorsement except to the extent that good analysis tends to redeem vexing movies for me well the lobster is definitely my favorite of the yorgos film series i i'm not sure you don't know which i one really is. liked poor things a lot yeah poor things is probably we top liked three it more me. than ken i don't know if you heard what we said last time ken I found it to be very funny and was purely viewing it through the lens of a comedy, but it is very odd, and I could see certain yeah. audiences not laughing at all because most of the theater was very quiet, but I've liked all of Lantimos' films that I've seen. I did not see that one, which I think is called Alps or something like that, which predates Dogtooth. Yeah, I, I have both of those, but I haven't... I might have both, yeah. actually, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I can't remember which one I watched. 
Dogtooth is the one where it's a family and okay. they're very secluded. Yeah, okay, I watched that one. I, I don't know that I've watched Alps, but I do have it. The one that he didn't mention, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, that one is also very strange, not surprisingly. It is, yeah. I actually just watched that recently. I didn't like it as much as The Lobster and Poor Things, but... Yeah. I mean, all his movies are at least interesting, generally well-crafted. I would maybe put The Favorite as my least favorite of that group. It's hard for me to remember. I remember us seeing it in the theater, but... I liked The Favorite, but yeah. I would actually almost maybe put Killing of a Sacred Deer ahead of it. Okay. We'll just say that we enjoyed Poor Things probably more than Ken did, but I don't know if we're going to get any hard-hitting analysis right now because, A, it's been a couple weeks since we saw it, and B, there's a chance we would do it on the show. So sure, yeah. Who knows? There are other films this year that I think you could similarly enhance, but for the sake of time, I'll mention three more films that I actually did enjoy see Ferrari in a good theater, the cars and the quote-unquote driver. See what I did there? I did. It's, no, he did it. Oh. <laughs> Not me. Are just mesmerizing. Well, he put it in quotes because Adam Driver is the star of the movie, in case people didn't know. Okay. I can't tell what your level of interest in is in foreign language films, and this was a good year for those, so I'll re- recommend only one, Fallen Leaves. Hmm. I have not seen or heard of Fallen Leaves, so I am curious. As far as Ferrari goes, that's a tough one for me. I will check it out because I'm a fan of Michael Mann, as you probably know. I don't know that people would be surprised to hear that we didn't see Ferrari because we didn't even mention it when we did Manhunter last time. And that's the new Michael Mann movie out. Probably will be nominated for things. I just really have a hard time now with biopics. I have zero interest in Maestro, I have zero interest in Ferrari. I have zero interest in Napoleon, even. I just have a hard time, I think. <laughs> I know. I haven't seen any of the three of those movies either. And I also like really, really zero interest in cars. Yeah. Like, that's like as disinterested of a topic that I could have. That movie that Mangold made, Ford versus Ferrari. I did like that. Was really well made and really well done. And I think that this movie coming on the heels of that sort of hurts it because i liked ford versus ferrari a lot Mm -hmm. but i don't know that i needed more loud ferrari cars i don't know right and i I will watch it eventually yeah yeah fallen leaves i'll have to look into it i'll close with a candidate for give us a second see people that listen to the show (laughs) do more work than me can come up with ideas for give us a second please maybe i'll steal this the wes anderson short film the Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, now on Netflix. Somebody actually is... asked me, I don't know if it was an email or on Twitter, or X, I guess as it's called. Somebody asked me about the Wes Anderson short films, and at the time I didn't have Netflix, so this is just... I hadn't watched it. Ken concludes by saying, thank you guys, you bring more enjoyment to your listeners than you know. Well, thanks for saying that, Ken, and thank you for the email we really appreciate it. We're sort of slowing down with emails right now. So if you have not already written us one and would like to, greatestpod at gmail.com. It should not be that long of a wait to get yours read on an episode. Or if you would like to write in another one, we will read multiple from people. We'd love to hear from any of you who have upcoming listener requests. We do have some saved for when those people have their listener requests coming up. So If you are one of those, yours will probably be put on hold until we do your episode. 
Other than that, we'd love to hear from you, hear from you again, greatestpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on X slash Twitter at greatestpod, and you can reach us either place if you'd like a sticker, if you have any kind of questions, anything like that. If you don't want whatever you're going to ask us or say to be read on the show, you can either mention that in an email or if you come via Twitter. I'm not going to read stuff from Twitter on the show. So if you want to talk to us but you don't want it on the air or something, that's fine too. If you get a chance and you have not already done so, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That kind of stuff means the world to us. Any kind of interaction is great, but a few positive words is really all it takes. We have a Cash App set up. There's a link in our X slash Twitter account, mm-hmm. at Pod. If you'd like to ever give us a donation beyond just the listener request money, any amount is fine. It's not a requirement, trust me. <laughs> but I figured I'd point it out because not a ton of people have done it Zero beyond interest. just the listener request payments. Yeah. But yes, we have an app there. We also take PayPal or Venmo. We can make that work too. But it any little thing, c- contribution is sure would yeah. be appreciated. Help us That's keep fine. the lights on. <laughs> there uh, is a little bit of a cost in- incurred from doing the show. It's not sure. free. Correct. It's free for everybody but us. <laughs> Do we have anything else? Stickers? No, I'm thinking I had an idea. One of the give us a seconds for the year can be the Wes Anderson shorts. Now I'm down to one. <laughs> no, I'm not I'm not counting that. We may do that. Yeah. But it won't but count. But that's as not one counting one. as one of your two that you're required to come up with this entire year. I'll work on it. Matt acts like this is the hardest thing in the world. I feel like it could not be any easier. Now because of Shane's email, we're yeah. we're thinking about books and music again and now even Ken chiming in in his email. Everyone's chiming in with give us Everybody's ideas. a better contributor to the show than me. Matt's just so desperately afraid that I'm going to shit on his ideas. Well, you do. Yeah, but who cares if I shit on it or not? <laughs> yeah. What difference does that make? I don't know. You did have that really shitty idea about our most memorable movie trailers that I still think was yeah, the worst. Yeah, I think that was a more... Because it's a topic that means more to me than you. <laughs> I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Which I feel like that's going to be true about anything that I pick because I'm a better sport than you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's probably true too. <laughs> I'm just saying, though, recently I was thinking of, well, maybe we could do that again. But then I was thinking, I can't think of any trailers. Yeah, it's getting tougher for me too. So I get it. My memory is just too bad. I know. I, same I, here. I can't do it. I don't know what happened. <laughs> it's all falling apart. The trailers that I remember most are for movies that I hated and didn't even want to see but got <laughs> talked into seeing because of seeing the trailer 45 times that now, one like, year. More than any trailer, I remember that Jillian Jacobs Coke commercial. Diet Coke, yeah. yeah. You heard it up. Yes. Okay. The trailer I remember more than any other is Due Date <laughs> starring Jamie Foxx uh-huh. and Robert Downey Jr. Holy is shit, Is Galifianakis yeah. in wow. that as well? Yes, he is. We saw that in the theater. I know, because I saw the trailer so many goddamn times, yeah. I was finally like, okay. The and amount of stuff we used to go see on like opening night. And it was fucking packed. packed. I know. The entire theater was packed. Not just the room we were in, but the entire building. And yeah. it, I can't even imagine that. <laughs> that was Todd Phillips. That was in, in the middle of I all know, this right after the hangover, hangover yeah. success. And he basically was like, let me just do a shitty version of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Or... 
Tommy Boy or any of the other road movies. Yeah, and what happened the last 10 years for him? He made Joker. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he made a, one of the biggest movies of all time. <laughs> and now he's making a sequel with Lady Gaga. So it all worked out. He also made that movie with Jonah Hill and uh, Miles Teller. The Sitter? No. no, The Sitter is everyone's favorite David Gordon Green. Yeah. No, um, no is War, it like War War Yeah, War Dogs. Yeah. I never saw that. Folks, I think that'll do it. Thank you so much to Ken for the email, and thank you to Stephen for the listener request, back-to-back British movies. It seems like we've done a lot of British stuff lately with Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which was also a listener request. True. So Tom Hardy also in that. Absolutely. <laughs> British royalty. Yes. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. You know where to reach us. You know where to find us. Next up, another listener request. Then we've got some interesting stuff planned for February. I think we'll do a little bit of our own material before we circle back to some more listener requests. But I don't know. Are we going to do a little special holiday-themed episode for Valentine's Day? I hope so. Maybe. (laughs) Are we doing Blue Valentine again? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We actually should start doing the same movie every year. Yeah. It would be fun to try to figure out what that movie would be. Okay. (laughs) I'm leaning towards Wish Upon a Star (laughs) right now. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Do you understand me now? Sometimes I get a little mad. Don't you know no one alive can always be a ninja? When things go wrong, you're bound to see some bad. But I'm just a soul whose intentions are good. Oh, Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood. You know, sometimes. With a joy that's hard to hide Then sometimes again it seems All I have is worries And you're bound to see my other side
sometimes I get a little mad. Things go wrong, you're bound to see bad. But I'm just a soul whose intentions are good. Oh Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood. Don't let me be misunderstood. Why is Dwayne Johnson the only man that could turn lesbians? Why is Dwayne Johnson the only <laughs> the only man who can turn lesbians? Why is that, Lee? Because rock beats scissors. <laughs> <laughs>